0: Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, guys, this is Alex, or as we call him here in the basement, self-identified listener number three. And what's funny is, when I'm not stacking Benjamins, I'm usually counting gold in my Los Angeles bunker, maybe buying a new van for the missus. Sometimes I call my significant other and tell them to stop tracking the time it takes to manage our rental empire, such as in 15-minute increments, so that I can jet-set from Hawaii to the middle U.S. on a budget airliner to get one hell of a deal on a new car to drive back to Vegas, just in time to tell my best friend about the trip to Vietnam that my family and I went on. Did I mention I went to Vietnam? (laughs) What?
1: What? Doug, get out of here. You're ruining the intro. Gotta go.
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we're celebrating National Potato Day in true holiday fashion by blind taste-testing French fries from all over town. While I head out to do my duty at Burger King, <laughs> I said duty, you'll be listening to the king of the dough roller podcast himself, Rob Berger. Plus, one ex-advisor is facing long prison time after being found guilty of an $11 million Ponzi scheme. Surely that's just an honest mistake. Plus, a new ruling by the IRS is sure to boost the popularity of fee-based annuities annuities, and popularity in the same sentence, there's some comedy. But we won't stop there. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a special listener and still save time for some of my incredible potato-themed trivia. And now, two guys whose doctors are totally thrilled about them eating fries all day. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-Gee. is it more cholesterol
0: better?
1: Yeah, it's like a score of some kind. It's like a basketball game.
0: higher the score, the better. I heard if you mix it with salt, that makes it less cholesterol-y. True? Well, that
1: and copious amounts of butter.
0: (laughs) Of grease. Yes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, This Might Not Be Healthy, the podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. Across the table from me is my good friend OG back for another Monday, man. Here we go. It's the OG. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what's up is I'm trying to learn all the words. I want to know all the words, everyone, the best ones. Yes. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting stacking Benjamins. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people like me improve their writing to be mistake free, clear and effective. Start writing confidently by heading to grammarly.com forward slash SB. And you know what? You'll get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Grammarly for the win. Speaking of the win, we got Rob Berger, Mr. Doe Roller here. Been a while since we talked to Rob. He's gonna teach you how to retire before mom and dad.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Love it. I know. So stepping up the game. Speaking of that, we've got some great headlines to step up your game this morning. So let's get started.
1: Hello, darlings.
3: And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines.
0: Uh, Another day, another Ponzi scheme. Of course. Headline comes to us from Financial Planning. This is written by Tobias Salinger. Ex-rep sentenced, daughter indicted, as victims detail $11 million Ponzi scheme. With his Ponzi scheme of some two decades beginning to unravel, ex-Securities America advisor Hector May warned his closest friends they needed to move assets into bonds. He felt, as we were due for a correction, the stock market bonds would be more secure. According to an excerpt from a victim statement, which federal prosecutors included in a sentencing memo submitted last month after May, who's 78 years old.
1: He's been doing this for 50 years, probably.
0: They've got him on 20 years. So who knows?
1: So for 20 years, he's been doing this crap.
0: Well, see, that's the way to fire. I mean, he's 76 now. It was 20 years ago. He's like 56. I've been helping everybody else. I haven't saved any money myself. What am I going to do? I got it. Robbery. Yes, I will steal from other people. There's a special place in hell for this. But let's go on about how this happened. Quote, he'd tell me not to worry because he treated our money like it was his own. He spent it willy-nilly. I'm using it as if it's mine because it really is mine. It has been mine for some time and you have no idea. Oh, that's ugly. By the way, you know, I never liked it back in the days when there were stereo shops, there's no such thing anymore. But, but I remember going into like, well, even if you go into like a Best Buy and the kid at Best Buy says, yeah, I got that stereo in my living room. (laughs) That's reason number one. I don't want it right there. Oh, you own it. I, I probably uh, want nothing to do with that one.
1: I was gonna say, I don't know that that has to do with money in as much as, you know, I've but like when they want s- my.
0: When they say you don't have to worry because I treat your money like it's my own, I, yeah. I, I, I get the same feeling, the same ooh, yuck.
1: Same you ewe feeling.
0: Yeah, like your job's to teach me about what's important, not to take it away from me and go spend it. This ex-client statement continues. He stole my belief in the essential goodness of the human spirit. His betrayal stole my faith, my trust, my security, my joy, my gratitude of each day. I bet the lawyer wrote that. (laughs) In a sentence, speaking of snark, With the help from Grammarly. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I bet it was Grammarly premium for 20% off. Uh, In a sentencing memo submitted by his lawyer, May admitted that he lived a lie while defrauding and deceiving people he considered friends and family. However, May asked for a lighter sentence based on factors, including his advanced age and the fact that it was his first offense. Guy ripped off people the tune of a million dollars. I've never ripped anybody off before this. So you should be lenient. Please. Uh, The payouts in his case, client settlement number one was $406,000. Client settlement number two was three point nine million. Asset forfeiture eleven point four million dollars. Civil lawsuits requesting damages eighteen million dollars. Yeah, this is ugly. O g, you have to follow your stuff. You have to follow it online. You have to follow your statements. You have to read your statements. You can't take your advisor's word for it. You should be able to take your advisor's word for a lot, but you have to. I had this client who put it, I think, very succinctly, trust, but verify.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is why you have all these different levels of protection in there. I mean, you have third-party custodians. So all of this goes away if you don't put your Financial salesperson, stealer person, like this guy. <laughs> you know, if you don't put your financial person listed on your account, they don't need to be an owner. Is what I mean by that. Where we see fraud, we see fraud when it's, hey, I made the check out to my broker. He said he could get me a better deal if I just made the check out to him. Never do that. The check is made out to you, yourself, or to your custodian, you Which, know for the w- benefit of you,
0: by custodian. You mean Vanguard, T Rowe Price, Fidelity. Yeah. I mean Merrill Lynch, Ameriprise, whoever. TD Ameritrade, Mer- Morgan Stanley,
1: Scottrade. Well, they're out of business. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make it out but, to Scottrade. <laughs> I have a funny story about make that. It Shears- about make
0: it out to Shearson Make it out
1: to Lehman. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that later. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'm gonna write it down so I don't forget. But, yeah, I mean, you have a third party custodian. Make sure you get your statements. Make sure that you look at them. You know, I mean, frankly, guys, you shouldn't have like a lot of stuff going on in your statements anyway. Maybe some rebalancing every so often. But I mean, if your statements are 47 pages long, you're like, I can't read that. There's probably too much other stuff going on too that you need to talk about. So, got to take care of yourself, man.
0: Our second headline comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Greg Iacurci. IRS delivers, quote, game changer for fee-based annuities. Had I known about this before, by the way, Sean Britt from Nationwide might have known a bit about this when she was here last week because the Internal Revenue Service has issued a tax ruling to Nationwide that may quickly boost the use of annuities by registered investment advisors with clients by knocking down what many saw as the primary roadblock to their uptake. Before we get into this, I got a nice email from a concerned gentleman saying he didn't like the fact that I liked annuities so much. It isn't that I like annuities. I am not an apologist for all the bad stuff that's happened with annuities. I think annuities, a lot of the bad press that's come their way is very well deserved. I think too often annuities have been sold instead of purchased. However, the idea of a lifetime income stream, OG, that you can't outlive for the right conservative individual is compelling. So back to this, the IRS furnished a private letter ruling to ensure nationwide allowing RIAs to pull clients advisory fees from the cash value of a non-qualified fee-based annuity without any adverse tax consequences, which runs counter to the existing rules. That's a game changer for fee-based annuities, said Cheryl Moore, president and CEO of consulting for Moore Market Intelligence. That's been one of the huge issues. People were concerned that if you take a withdrawal from the annuity to pay the advisor's fee, you'd create a taxable event. Because of that, by the way, a lot of RIA firms then wouldn't use annuities in their mix. That's why certified financial planner Dana Ansbach, who's been on the show a couple times, just said in an Investopedia piece that I like... In a piece about annuities said, people who sell annuities will tell you how great they are. People who don't sell annuities will tell you that they're horrible. And people who are just fee only will help you make the right decision because sometimes they fit and sometimes they don't. Some of those RIAs, you and I know, OG, not using them because difficult to get paid using them. This at least uh, makes that playing field even.
1: Yeah, how do I get paid out of this is like it, it ought to be, I think for most business owners, most professionals, line item number 63 on the list of other things that I must consider prior to making a recommendation, but it definitely is something. I mean, you just have to base the facts it really is. I think there's some workarounds there. You know, you can have fees drafted from other accounts or something. So maybe you didn't need to have a specific IRS rule for it, but by the same token, If that's the portfolio, if that's where you have your money and you have, you know, $500,000 and you're paying a 1% financial planning fee or 1% asset management fee and you don't have any other money, that's a lot of money to write a check for every year. You know, five grand, it's some serious cash. So this will be good, I think, for at least adding the arrow to the quiver for the right people. The people that were going to misuse it are misusing it anyway. The people that are, not interested in it ever, are never going to be interested in it. But the professional who looks at a client
0: situation robustly, I think more of those people will use that. That's exactly what I like, OG. I mean, just to pile on here, I like the fact that when you put these registered investment advisors, many of which are fee only financial planners, and they begin using annuities in the right way, and you don't just have a bunch of commission salespeople, I think that you're going to see the public get educated much more quickly. It's an issue about longevity. It's purely Great. about a longevity. It's not about a rotten product. It's about the fact that there are so many misguided people who will manage their money in a horrible way they will apologize for target date funds all day long and say how they're okay for the right person. And then we'll slam a longevity annuity because they hate the word annuity because they drank the Kool-Aid. None of these are all built the same way. And, um, and we'll see how this goes, but brand new thing there. I think uh, number one, we'll wait and see on that. I think our big takeaway here though, back to number one is if your advisor says, Make your checkout to the My friends call me cash. <laughs> make your checkout to the charitable association of what's what's an S of uh, uh, societal uh um, helpers handlers. handlers yes.
1: <laughs> but you can abbreviate that C A S H.
0: Yes. That that might mean there's something going on that you don't want going on. Rob Berger, about ready to come down to the basement. I have known this gentleman for a long time, and I'm so happy that we get to talk to him today. He is the man behind the incredible website, Dough Roller. He also runs the Dough Roller podcast, and I know that a lot of you who listen to this show, you also listen to Rob's show, and you know that if there's anybody who's the voice of reason, it is Mr. Rob Berger, and I'm so happy he's here. He's got a new book out called Retire Before Mom and Dad. We're going to talk to him about some of the lies that he talks about in the book O.G. some of the lies that we've all been fed around financial independence rob berger coming down to the basement making his way down the stairs back for i think a triumphant third trip to the basement i take that back last couple times you were on a round table so you were on my dad short way but not to get all technical Rob Burgers here, Mr. Dough Roller. How are you, man?
3: Joe, I am doing wonderful. And let me just tell you, you have a lovely mom. She is by far the better
0: part of this entire thing.
3: I mean, I almost didn't want to come down to the basement. I mean, what? no offense, <laughs> but, you know, I did. Lovely.
0: Dealing with me versus her? no, No question. Way better. <laughs> and she's got great cooking.
3: Absolutely.
0: You somehow have cooked up this phenomenal book. I'm having such a blast reading this. But I want to ask you about this. Your life changed uh, a date in
3: 2005.
0: June 12th, 2005 was a big day for you. Tell me about that day.
3: So I had been practicing law since 92 and actually had just taken a huge pay cut to take a different kind of job. I was listening, believe it or not, to the Dave Ramsey show, and people were calling on there screaming they're debt free. And I'm thinking, you know, I want to say that. I want to say I'm debt-free. And we had a mortgage and school loans still and home equity line of credit. And I just said, you know what? I don't need all this crap that we've been buying. And I just said, I'm going to be totally debt-free in seven years, 2012.
0: But you and your spouse were buying some great crap, as you put it. <laughs> you, you
3: talked about how you just bought each other like these super expensive watches. So here's the deal. You know, I was a lawyer, so I felt like I had to act like one. So I made partner. This was before I took a huge pay cut to go to the government and other things, and so we bought expensive watches. Which, by the way, I've since sold mine, and we're going to sell hers. She hasn't worn her expensive watch in years. We we wear these first generation Apple watches that we won, and I even joined a country club. I, I'm I'm too embarrassed to say how much that cost me, and I just said this is ridiculous. So I I, I sold an expensive car, I sold our my watch, and I quit the country club. Boom, done.
0: But I was wondering, as you're talking about this, that changed for you. But it wasn't just you. It was you and your spouse too, Rob. I mean, was she on board from the beginning?
3: Did she look at you like you're from the moon? Did she want the country club? So here's this, the the nice thing is I was the one out of control, not my wife. She's very down to earth. I'm the, the whacked out crazy one who was spending all the money. She was fine with what I did because we could pay our bills. But she couldn't care less about a country club. I mean, not at all. So she was fine. She was like, good. One less thing we got to worry about. Oh, yeah. She was terrific. She's great. That's amazing.
0: So she was on board immediately.
3: I honestly, we're going to celebrate 31 years of marriage if she doesn't leave me between now and about <laughs> six days from now. And actually, in Virginia, it takes longer than that to get a divorce. So I think I'm good. I don't know how she's done it, but somehow she's managed.
0: You are a lucky man. Divorce is expensive.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, it is.
0: <laughs> but you set yourself a date, and I think this is pretty important. In 2005, you said you were going to be debt-free
3: When? Seven years later, exactly, to the day.
0: No, you ended up debt-free seven years later. but did No, you no, say, no. Oh, was, you said not, you were going
3: to be. And I failed. That's, I was, that's the... I failed. <laughs> yes. It was the best failure I'd ever had. So I wanted to be debt-free, including the mortgage. By the way, mathematically, this made no sense. Like, if you looked at our income and expense, it, it was not possible. So I didn't know how I was going to do it. So it was 2012, I wanted to be debt-free, and it was more like 2016, but That's awesome. It was the best failure I'd ever had.
0: Well, I feel like, you know, that quote from Michelangelo about it's not uh, and I'm not going to get the exact quote, but it's not about dreaming too big and not hitting your goal. It's dreaming too small and getting everything. You, know, right, right. you don't want to do that. But you were kind of like this character at the beginning of your book. You've got this guy sitting at his desk and he's thinking this world is not quite what we think it is. Like, I feel like you're this guy in this. You all of a sudden realize that a lot of this is
3: a lie. Yeah, it was I thought this was what would make me happy. It, you know, you see the people with the expensive cars going to the country club, the the Rolex watches and the big houses, and you think that's the life. Ultimately I concluded, no, that's not the life. It's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with those things per se, but here's the key. They're not more important than my freedom. What I was really buying those things with was my freedom because they were forcing me to work fifty and sixty hours a week forever. And, that's, and I said, you know what? My freedom is more important than, than a country club membership or an expensive watch.
0: That's funny because I think a lot of people don't even weigh those two things.
3: They don't think about freedom. I mean, for some people, it may not be a country club. For us, it's no longer that. But as an example, I gave up my car recently, so I don't have a car. Now, I don't have to do that. I could go buy a car. But to me, it makes life a little simpler, oddly enough. And it's more freedom. So when you think of, you know, when you get to the debates about how you spend your money, people rarely think about, well, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to invest it because what I'm doing is buying my freedom. And to me, that was what I said to my wife and she agreed. Yes, we have to buy necessities. Yes, we want to enjoy a few things in life. We all do. But somewhere in our budget, it's got to be money that we're setting aside to buy our freedom. And that's what we
0: started doing. This sounds like you're channeling kind of the grandmother of all of us, Rob, uh, Vicki
3: Robin, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, had you heard of her before? Oh, sure. that time? Uh, before then? Probably not. I don't know that I had read her book before then. Why did you create dough Roller then? Was it to hold yourself accountable? No, not at all. This is a funny story. So, Joe, while your basement is a lovely place at home, I have a workshop. When we moved into the house, I thought, well, clearly I need to be a woodworker, because why else would we move into a house with a workshop? So I was on the internet searching for a table saw, because that's what you need to do. And I came across a personal finance blog. I have no idea. And this was in 2007. And I thought, that's really cool. This is somebody just talking about their finances. I want to do that. So I said, forget the workshop. I'm not, i will probably cut off an arm anyway. And I started doughroller.net, May 27th, 2007. That's funny. So it became your side hustle. Yes. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't the plan, but yes, that's what it did. And can I tell you that from that day all the way through to 2018 when I sold it, we have spent almost none of the money that it's made. We've paid taxes, we've paid off debt, we've given a lot to charity, and we've saved the rest. And it's just one giant freedom fund. I was going to say, that's got to make you feel great. It, it feels wonderful. It allows me to come visit you in your basement you know, during the work week and not have to worry about you know going to a job. Why did you sell it? Because I got an offer, I just couldn't, I couldn't turn down. I wasn't looking to sell it. I didn't put it up for sale. Someone reached out to me and then another company reached out to me and we started talking numbers. And after a while I thought, you know, it'll be a nice fresh start. I don't ever have to work again, although I do. We can talk about that if you want. I went back to work. Don't ask me why, but we can talk about that. And then I can start a new project. For example, it allowed me the time to finish the book. So it was a trade-off, I guess, like just about any important decision in life. To get back to this time in
0: your life, this 2005 time, you're like this guy at the beginning of your book. He's sitting at this desk.
3: Life uh, seems to be this mirage. Tell me about this guy. Ah, uh, well, the guy is like many of us. He's just living a normal life. But there's just something in the back of his mind that says, you know, there's something not quite right here. Do I really need all of this stuff, you know, to be happy? As and- as you're saying this, not to cut you off,
0: by the way, for everybody listening, I'm reading this, this stuff that Rob's talking about right now, and I'm thinking this is kind of the basic thing that people that love the fire movement are all about, right? Because you hear the story over and over. I'm sitting at my desk and I go, there's just something wrong. You know, we had Scott Rickens here recently from the Playing with Fire movie, and that was kind of his life. He's like, Everything's something wrong. I yeah. had no idea though what you were channeling. <laughs>
3: no you idea. didn't you didn't know where it was going? I had no
0: idea. What? <laughs> like oh, a yeah. like a paragraph later. I'm like, oh my God, Rob, you got me.
3: Should we tell them or should we not tell them? No, let's tell them. So I'm referring to Neo of the Matrix. That was sort of the the story that I used, because that's how I felt. And the big epiphany for me wasn't just that all the things I was buying, they seemed to be making me happy, but they probably weren't. But the other epiphany for me was, I actually have some control over what makes me happy, and I can change what makes me happy. So I think we kind of feel like we're set in our ways, and this makes us happy, and this is the routine we need to follow. And I found that over time, you know what, you actually have far more control over what makes you happy or joyful or content than you think. And so I thought, you know, The Matrix and Neo and uh morpheus was the perfect story to sort of introduce the concept in the book
0: it was absolutely perfect getting behind all this stuff to the matrix i'm like all right i'm there with you man (laughs) let's talk about some of these lies though rob you begin the book with five lies and i thought if we can dive into these this is great for our audience it's a fantastic thing to talk about the first thing is you say lie number one and we see this all the time right Financial freedom requires a big salary. You see some of these people retiring early. Of course, it's a couple of engineers, no kids, making between the two of them $350,000. You and I have listened to Dave Ramsey's show before. People are like, I paid off all my debt. And they start talking about how much money they make. They make half a million dollars a year. And you're like, well, of course they can. Yeah. You know, What's the lie?
3: Well, I had two frames of reference here. So I worked in the world with, with a lot of rich people when I was practicing law. And kind of what you just said, they should have it set and they shouldn't have any debt because they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Turns out that's not true at all. They're miserable. They're just spending all of their money. They have more to spend. So they they have a bigger lifestyle on the outside. But they're crushing work. They're in their 60, 70 hours a week traveling all the time just to pay all the bills. And they're miserable. So that's the first thing. It may look great on the outside when they drive up in their Mercedes to the country club. But trust me, they're not happy. Now, I've lived that lifestyle, but I've also lived a much, much more frugal lifestyle because I kind of got out of that world and took huge pay cuts. And what I've found is, first of all, I've met a lot of people who have achieved financial independence at an early age, and they don't make the $350,000. They're teachers. uh, they're, They they might be engineers, but they're making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000, not $300,000. But here's the real key, and I go into it in detail in the book. When you think about building wealth, a million bucks, two million bucks. If you're making 50 grand a year, that seems impossible. How can you possibly ever do that? But you and I know the power of compounding, which I think we all kind of know, but don't really know. Most of the examples in my book assume either a $50,000 income or a $75,000 income. So these are not outrageous numbers. You know, you save 200 bucks a month during your working years and earn an average return, here's the thing, you're gonna end up with $1.7 million. But here's the real key, the vast majority of that wealth, over 90% of it, doesn't come from the money you saved, it comes from the compounding. And that's really the thing we need to understand. It's not whether you make 50,000 a year or some other number, we're all in different places, but it's understanding the power of compounding. That's what's actually gonna get you to financial independence. Obviously your salary is important to a degree, but you don't need to make six figures, to achieve financial independence at a relatively young age. In fact, even use $200 in the book, you talk
0: about $416 a month gets you over 3.4 million. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you
3: can do that, I mean, employer match, right? Helps out with that, hopefully, in some cases. Yeah, I talk about the employer match, and I actually get into the calculations about how it will affect your journey to financial independence, how it speeds it up. The employer match by itself can result in millions of dollars. If, if you're investing it over a long period, long enough period of time, it's huge.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's sad to see that more companies don't have an employer match, but if you're lucky enough to have one, whenever I see somebody not using it, I'm like, you kidding me?
3: Please. Well, you know, you, you know what drives me crazy and I get the whole thing about paying off debt, right? But it's not the ultimate goal. The goal is financial independence. Now that'll include paying off debt. But when I, when someone tells me, yeah, I'm really just chipping away at my 5% school loan, and I'm just going to do that for the next eight years before I start investing. And I ask him, does your employer match your 401k? Oh, sure they do. That to me is the biggest crime right there. But yeah, no, I totally, totally, totally agree. How do you like doing it? Go up to the
0: employer match first and then chip away at your debt with whatever's left over if possible?
3: The short answer is yes. I mean, to me, financial freedom is the first thing. So you want to save and you absolutely want to get the employer match if it depends in part on what your interest rates are. But if you're having, if you have you know, low interest school loans, for example, you've got to look at what payment plans you're using, if it's a federal loan, if there's loan forgiveness in, in, that you're trying to achieve or not. So there's some things you need to think about. But to me, you want to get the match first. And then if you want to pay extra on debt, great. Or other things like save for a house, but you got to get the match.
0: The other thing I thought about with this lie myself was I remember those days, um, and longtime listeners of the show know my story. I feel like if you can't make it work on fifty thousand dollars, and you're praying that you'll make ten thousand dollars more or twenty thousand dollars more, whatever the number is, that that's going to solve your problem. If you can't budget on fifty, all ten thousand dollars more w- would have done for me back in the day was made my lifestyle $10,000 better today. Yeah. Like I would have blown all of it plus. Like you but have the- to make it work on what you have today. You got to get financial controls in place or more money doesn't mean more wealth.
3: Yeah. And it's a lie that I told myself leading up to that day in 2005 cuz you know, you'd get some raises and it felt good, but we were just spending more. We weren't saving it. And and that was a huge mistake that we made. Fortunately, we 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 stopped doing that.
0: <laughs> but- I always I always felt like that next raise will take care of everything. Yeah. and that—that's a
3: lie. Absolutely. I mean, they're nice to get. I mean, you know, right. but <laughs> but you got to do smart things with them, right? right. You got to do smart things with them.
0: Don't get me wrong, Rob. I'd rather be miserable on more money.
3: Yeah, J- just yeah. Saying. I mean, the key here isn't that income is irrelevant. It clear, it's obviously important. But you know, at the same time, we got to be realistic with where we are, what we're making, and do smart things with what we've got. Hustle and work hard to to make more. That's fine and important. But you got to you know, understand where you are, make smart decisions, and buy your freedom $1 at a time. I mean, that's just the way it works. Your second lie here is that it's going to take 40 years. Yeah. So in the FIRE movement, and the book certainly talks about how to retire early, although I'm more focused on financial independence early, what you do with it's up to each of us, right? You know, You hear a lot of criticism on the FIRE movement because they say, well, who can save 50% of their income? Well, there's a couple answers to that. One is, well, apparently some people do, so you can try to learn from them if that's what you want to do. But the reality is, if you want to have early financial independence, you don't need to save that much. I mean, obviously, the more you save, the faster you'll reach your goal. But if someone out of college says, you know what, I want to be financially independent by the time I'm 50, early 50s, that's a long time. You don't have to save 50% to achieve that. And I go through all the math in the book, but you're looking at about 20 to 25%. Now, I don't pretend that's easy, particularly right out of school if you've got some college loans. I don't pretend that it's easy to do, but it's not 50%. You can really shorten the time it takes you to reach financial freedom by saving sure a healthy savings rate, but not an insane one. And if you can save 50%, great, but that you don't have to do that. I I don't know how you feel about
0: this, but as I was as I was reading Rob, I was thinking I really wanted your opinion on this, which was I kind of feel like this idea of delayed gratification is a little bit of a lie as i'm reading this about 40 years or longer to achieve financial freedom part of me when it comes to financial freedom is less about the fact that i can do whatever i want today financially as it is i'm living the life i want today in a responsible fun in control way like for me financial freedom we kind of have uh, posed it as this thing in the future But I think financial freedom a little bit, we can have pieces of that today, even if we have some debt and even if we have, um, even if we're not all the way to our, you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say?
3: So I got a story for that and I agree completely. So there's a whole chapter on the seven stages of financial freedom. The first one is just one month's worth of expenses in the bank. And you will feel that in a positive way. I mean, you're just starting out, right? but you're no longer living paycheck to paycheck. Emotionally, that's an important milestone. You got me, you have a long way to go, but it's huge. And as you move forward, you know, there was a time when I had a job, I was probably halfway to financial independence and the boss was not a particularly pleasant person. And he was screaming and yelling at this poor lady for something that was absolutely ridiculous. And I thought, you know what? As bad as this place is to work because of My financial independence. I haven't arrived yet, right? I'm not at that destination you talk about years down the road. I'm, I'm still on the journey, but I'm, I'm good enough that I can quit this job. And one, I don't have to worry about paying the mortgage the day after I quit. And two, even if the next job I get pays me less, we'll be okay. And with that, I ended up changing jobs not long thereafter, took, and this is after the huge pay cut. I took another pay cut, but, but got a great job. The best, you know, I was in my legal Career that was the best job I had was working for the government, um, you know, making a a decent salary, but not like the fancy lawyers that came in and told us why we were wrong. (laughs) And in in, in any event, that's a whole other story. (laughs) But I could do that because of we were, you know, far enough along in the journey. So it had the point is it had real tangible consequences to our lives long before we achieved, if you will, financial independence. I agree completely. I think that financial independence
0: is just going to magnify whatever you're feeling now. Like if you're unhappy now and you reach financial independence, financial independence isn't going to change you into a happy person later. I think enjoying the journey, when I read people online saying, but I just want to get there today. I'm like, that's not going to be a lot different than it is now. Like enjoy the fact that you're not living paycheck to paycheck.
3: Absolutely. I think we all have a base level of happiness and it fluctuates, but we all tend to come back to that base level. And, you know, I think financial independence is important, but you're right. It's not going to change you into a different person. Whatever baggage you had, and myself included, I've brought it with me. I still got it. My wife, if you want, maybe she can join us in the basement and she can tell you about all my (laughs) my baggage. But yeah, you don't, you don't, unfortunately, you don't leave that behind. Now
0: you're unhappy with no debt and investments. So congratulations. (laughs) Right.
3: Right. You you worry about the next (laughs) stock market crash.
0: (laughs) But your third lie, that's actually a great transition to this one, is that, happiness is expensive. And you say that is uh total BS.
3: Right. Yeah. And I think we get into sort of a habit and routine that spends money. And we think we've created this life and this is what makes us happy. And if any part of it goes away, whether it's something as simple as your daily latte, and we all just love to talk about the latte factor, right? Or something much more expensive. We think if that, if, if someone comes in and takes that from us, we're now immediately unhappy. We need that, whatever that is to remain happy. I felt that way. I think, you know, it's a normal thing. But then I started running experiments. I said, you know what, what if I get rid of that? Let's just try it for three weeks. Am I really going to be that miserable? It turns out I wasn't. Once you go through that a couple of times, you realize you have far more control over what makes you happy than you think. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is what are the 10 things that make you the most, bring you the most joy. And my wife is reading the book. She actually wrote out her 10 things. I said, "You you, really? You did? I wasn't sure people would actually do that. She said, yeah, I wrote them out. And we went down them, and none of them cost any money. I love that. So she's just terrific. You really should have had her on the show, not me. (laughs) Well, that's just a great discussion. I mean, anybody who's planning with
0: anybody, whether it's a spouse, significant other, an accountability partner, writing those things out for each other is a fantastic conversation to have over wine or breakfast or whatever.
3: Yeah. Happiness, it can be expensive, you know. But it doesn't have to be. And it. And I think what brings us the most joy often doesn't cost much.
0: But I like how you get behind once again, and you look at the matrix behind this. The matrix operating expensive equals happy yeah. are corporations that want you to buy their latest thing. I mean, Best Buy is full of a bunch of stuff that will clutter your house, supposedly making you happy.
3: Yeah, and I don't think we, uh, myself included, appreciate just the influence all the advertising and marketing has on us. That's the thing is they want to sell, and I get that, but that doesn't mean we necessarily have to buy. Obviously, we're going to buy some things. We're going to enjoy some things. That's fine. But I think for many of us, we can be just as happy spending less than what we're spending today.
0: I'll apologize to people who have heard me talk about this before, but uh, you know, Lewis Black, the comedian? Yes. Lewis Black has a story that's exactly on this point, Rob where he said that, you know, when he was growing up, you drink water out of the hose, right? And then all of a sudden, Pepsi and Coke get into the water game. And I don't know if you know this, Rob, there's a ton of impurities in that water. Yeah, yeah. And you should not be drinking it. And by the way, bottled water, you should have eight servings a day. Just saying.
3: (laughs) Yeah. A good public service announcement. (laughs) It really is. Just trying to help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Number four is that investing is complicated. I love this one.
3: Yeah, I mean we walk walk through it in great detail because one of my goals of the book is that when someone's done reading it, if they're not investing now, at the end of the book they will be. I think one of the challenges for investing is all of the jargon. You know, you're at work and someone's complaining that their small cap value fund is falling behind and you're like, "Huh? What did they just say?" So, um I try to demystify all of that language. It's not complicated. It's just Wall Street coming up with silly fancy terms for stuff. And so we demystify all of that, and then I give them a number of different ways, whether it's in their 401k or an IRA, that they can invest with confidence. Did you ever watch the show Lost? Yes. So you remember the whole thing with Hume down in the, in the, I guess, underground where he's having to push that button, put in a code, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and everyone's like, well, wait a minute. I don't think we're giving anything away, right? This was a long time ago. Um, if we got to say spoiler alert on a show that's that old, <laughs> big problem. If you remember, they're all like, well, wait a minute. What happens if we don't push the button? I mean, it's really, what's what, what's what the worst that could happen? But no one understood really why they were pushing the button. Well, you know, investing is as easy as pushing the button. You can use a robo-advisor. You can use a target date retirement fund. They have issues, high expense ratios for a lot of them. We could talk about that in any event. Uh, you could do a three-fund portfolio. I discussed them all. They're as easy as pushing the button, but- you got to know why you're doing it because there's going to come a time when the market drops by 30% and you're going to be like, Joe and Rob, they were idiots. Why did I ever listen to those guys and buy Rob's stupid book? Right. <laughs> so they need to, you, we need to know why we're pressing the button, why we're doing what we're doing in our 401k. We don't need to become Wall Street experts, but we need to know enough. So that we can make these important decisions with some level of confidence, and that 's what I try to accomplish in the book
0: well, and it also reminds me a little bit. I want to quote a different guy, a Canadian uh, David Chilton, where this whole idea of this lie reminds me of something that he is big on, which is if your investment strategy doesn't fit on a napkin, you might be doing it wrong, which yeah. i which this this is reminiscent of that, like more complicated. Which a lot of the pros want you to think it's gotta be complicated. More complicated doesn't mean better.
3: Yeah. So when I sold Doe Roller, I had some money to invest, and my accountants, you know, wanted to manage this, these investments, and I said, Well, I'll listen to you. And so they wanted to give me complicated real estate transactions. They wanted to give me the black swan fund, you know, where when the market crashes, I'll be okay. And I just looked at them and I said, Why not just some index funds? And I'll pay like three BIPS basis points, right? And I think I'm pretty good, right? And they didn't have an answer for that. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. It it just doesn't need to be complicated. In fact, you can pretty much rest assured that the more complicated and expensive it is, the worse you'll do.
0: Here is a question that we get from time to time that I'm sure you get also, Rob. Did that wreck the relationship? If that guy's your accountant, did that make it worse for you dealing with him Uh in the future?
3: For me, it didn't. I still use them for my tax returns. Of course, I think they knew they, they, they listened to the podcast, my right. podcast. So they kind of knew that I was going to be a hard sell, but it's an important question because a lot of folks listening, maybe they're using the advisor that their parents have used for 30 years. Right. Right. Maybe it's a friend of the family. It is difficult. I won't pretend it's not difficult, but your, your future depends on you making the right decision and you got to just suck it up and make the right call. It is a difficult thing when you've got those relationships involved. It can be tough.
0: And that's why a lot of the time I like having advisors who aren't those family friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, if you think about, you know, almost like a prenup, you have the prenup (laughs) for when this thing, that's a beautiful thing might go south, Yeah, maybe not get into it at all with somebody who's going to show up at Thanksgiving.
3: Yeah. And there are more and more advisors, by the way, and I even use one who just charges a fee. They don't manage my investments. You know, they basically are a, a sanity check to make sure I'm thinking about my future the right way. And we might only have one call a year. They give me access to some great software, you know, but it's not a assets under management fee kind of arrangement. It's just a one-time annual or hourly fee.
0: Lie number five here, a great place for us to end, is that debt is a fact of life.
3: Yeah. I mean, that that's how I grew up, right? My parents had debt. They almost lost the house. I went to law school, had a ton of debt coming out of law school. My wife went to college, a graduate school debt, bought a house debt, a car loan, And this is one of the epiphanies I had in 2005. It's like, you know, what if I just didn't have this debt? What if I just stopped borrowing? I mean, if I I just do that, if I just stop borrowing anything more, eventually I'll be debt-free. I mean, it might take me longer than I'd like. So we haven't borrowed for a car since then. We pay cash. Now, it's easy for me to sit here in your basement, smelling your mom's cooking, and say, you know, just don't go into more debt. And people listening are like, you know, Rob, it's not really that easy. No, it's not. It's not that easy. I mean, I, I I cover a number of strategies to help people get out of debt, but no, it's hard. It is hard. And we should understand that going in, but you can do it. And but you could
0: even set that, Rob, as the goal that next month or three months out or five months out, like you set your goal that seven years from now, you're going to be completely out of debt. Right. Your, your goal might be a year from now, I'm going to quit digging the hole. And every month I'm going to dig a little less, like enjoy that journey.
3: Right. Yeah. The key is to make positive progress in the direction you want to go. And it can be as simple as taking half your raise and putting it towards debt, taking half your tax return and putting it towards debt, making those what seem like small steps, but added up over time will have a huge impact on your life. Um, So for some, it may take longer, but you know, that, that is what it is. We just have to keep moving towards that that goal. You know, I started in 05 and I didn't become debt-free until 2016, so it took me over a decade. Um, some will be much, you know, much smarter than I am and will do it a lot faster. That's great. Um yeah. So I, but I don't want to pretend that it's easy, but it's, you know, it's worth the struggle. The book is called Retire Before
0: Mom and Dad. I am thoroughly enjoying it and what's funny is I'm only on chapter 5 and there's so much here from uh, in the first part, you talk about your superpower. We talked about that just a little bit, this idea of compounding interest, uh, financial freedom in part two, buying your freedom in part three. I especially like, by the way, I looked ahead on habits. Yes. I love the idea. These, this idea of habits and automation, just phenomenal, investing in part four, and then the practical considerations in part five.
3: Where do we get it? So it's available now on Amazon. A audio version is coming out that I narrated. I saw that, by the way, on your social channel. How
0: is that, narrating your own book?
3: It is excruciatingly painful. <laughs> I mean, that's, that doesn't even begin. It, it was miserable. First of all, you have to build a soundproof, basically, booth around you, unless you're going to go to a studio. Then you read your book, and you make mistakes and go back and you know over and over and over again. But I, actually, I enjoyed doing it. And it turns out in the personal finance space, most sales come from audiobooks. So it's an important market. And folks, you know, want to hear from the author. You know, for f- fiction, you might hire someone. But for nonfiction, they want to hear from the author. So I, I enjoy doing it. And I've got sound engineers now trying to make me sound pretty. Uh, <laughs> God help them. And yeah, so that'll be up soon. Right now, the the Kindle or ebook and and hard copy available on Amazon. You can get it also like Barnes & Noble and other places as well. So it's available for pre-order now. It gets shipped out uh, August 29th.
0: We'll link to all of those places and to Dole roller.net on our show notes page at stackofbenjamins.com. By the way, I just realized, too, before we let you go, I might have scared people when we talked about you selling the blog. I know we have lots of mutual fans. When I look at Apple Podcasts, it says other podcast people listen to. And a lot yeah. of our fans are big Dole
3: Roller fans. You're not leaving the podcast, are you? I'm not. And by the way, let me just return that serve. And say that in the Facebook group for Dole Roller, whenever the question is, "Well, what other podcast should we listen to?" Stacking Benjamins is at the top of the list. So, what the deal was, I sold it, but I still do the show. So, I still record the podcast, and uh, yeah, and I've done that, and don't have no plans to stop. Good. You just uh, you just made a lot of people go, "Oh, thank God!" Because I know
0: you people people take you to work, they take you on their run. So, great stuff. Well, I got to say this, man, we don't talk enough. I absolutely love talking to you. Good luck with the rest of the book tour.
3: Thank you, Joe. It's been, I I always enjoy coming on your show, coming down to your basement and uh, appreciate it very much. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's
2: neighbor, Doug, and welcome to my trivia. Andy Andrews is great and all, but can you believe that guy didn't even mention that it's national potato day? That dude needs to wake up and understand his surroundings a little bit better. I mean, it's a very important day around here. You might be wondering, how do we celebrate National Potato Day? Well, it's simple, really. You only need to eat an extremely unhealthy amount of French fries. Even so, there are only so many fries we can eat, of course, which means we need to prioritize. And I've been doing some heavy academic scientific Data driven research, and I just about have a conclusive list of the best fries around. But, and here's your trivia question what is the number one rated French fry from a restaurant? I'll have your answer right after I put my money, uh, fries, where my mouth is and test if my list is correct.
0: Well, you know how OG oh, I uh, am always trying to expand my vocabulary trying to make sure that I get bigger and better words into my or writing. Or vociferous. Yes. Conversation. I have vociferous appetite for, dia- nope. for dialect. You,
1: you need to go back there. Read, <laughs> well, read that's that what's one.
0: funny because uh, <laughs> that's what Grammarly consistently tells me is that I do use a ton of words. I use about a third of them correctly.
1: So <laughs> They're like, that collection of letters is not a commonly accepted word
0: and swing swinging a miss. Uh, thanks to Grammarly though, for supporting stacking Benjamins Grammarly, as we explained earlier in the show is a communication tool that helps people like me improve my writing to be mistake free, clear and effective. They encourage all of us, even the best students, the top professionals, everyone to use Grammarly to do your best work and accomplish even more of their goals. Here's what I like about Grammarly. OG. I can write fast and realize I'm probably going to make a few mistakes, go back and Grammarly says, yeah, you want to re-look at that sentence, probably highlight that one, so that I can just focus on the big picture instead of being super careful and taking all day getting the stuff done. Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. Start off the fall semester here by easily improving yourself and your communication, whether it's school, work, or almost anywhere, uh, like a basement with Grammarly, Grammarly is available on multiple browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Edge, and platforms, iOS, Android, Windows, Mac. The free product reviews critical spelling and grammar. You can get that for free. Grammarly Premium, which is what I use, looks out for spelling and grammar, but also advanced punctuation, structure, style within the context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, I miss there a lot, and readability (laughs) for different occasions. Example like business proposal, academic essay, casual blog post, maybe on my part, a script for an upcoming podcast. So accomplish your goals with help from Grammarly. Stop making email typos on your phone. Close more deals at work this year, whatever it might be. Here it is. You ready? Check this out. Go to Grammarly.com forward slash SB and you'll get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com forward slash SB. 20% off your Grammarly premium account just because you listen to Stacking Benjamins.
2: Hey yo, potato lovers! I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome back to my trivia. Before we get to your real trivia, let me share some facts with you. Did you know that a quarter of vegetables consumed in the USA are fries? <laughs> no, I don't mean like a quarter of potatoes are French fries. I mean like a quarter of all vegetables consumed are French fries. Yeah, it's kind of sad. And that, depending on the serving size, uh, and, and which restaurant a uh, serving of large fries can have between 330 and 1530 grams of salt? Did you know that? But enough about that. Let's serve you up your main course. Before the break, I asked you this question: What is the number one rated restaurant French fry? The answer? Well, huh, obviously, it's McDonough. Oh wait, it's Arby's. Who the what? Who tallied these results? Arby's? That's ridiculous. Have people never tried Wendy's fries in a shake? Or like McDonald's fries even, straight from the kitchen? Maybe it's those Arby's curly fries. Let me reach over here and try another one. Huh. Wow. All right, wait, wait, wait. One more. Got it. You know, for science. Holy shit. That's a damn good French fry. Wow. I think I can run out real fast and get some more before the end of the show. Hey, somebody tell Joe I had to run to the bathroom. I'll be right back. See you.
0: Big thanks to Rob for coming down to the basement. You know what I like, OG? I love this idea that happiness is not about later. Happiness is about now. It's funny how this becomes a recurring theme. Tracy McCubbin here talking about organization, about how more stuff you think is going to make you happy. It just becomes clutter. Ken Honda talking about happy money and about gratitude and about how if you practice gratitude, no matter where you are, that that increases your happy. Happiness is not a thing you reach later on. I think you have to look and go for it now.
1: The happiness hypothesis was a book that I read. The message of it was very similar. Happiness is hundred percent internal.
0: hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Love it. Thanks uh, to Rob for stopping by. Hey, let's throw out the Haven lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends down at Haven life insurance, they put what you value first.
1: A handful of cashews and ice cold beer.
0: Not Arby's fries. Arby's fries. Those curly fries are phenomenal.
1: No. You know what? Here's the problem with Arby's. You got to get the beef and cheddar. But if you don't tell them, they will put that stupid red sauce on the sandwich with the beef and cheddar. You
0: don't like which, the Arby sauce?
1: I swear to God, the sauce on the beef and cheddar is not Arby sauce. Because I like Arby sauce. But for some reason, that combination of the cheddar... And the red sauce that they put on the cheddar, which I'm sure is Arby's sauce, is so bad. You got to tell them to take that off. Then I'll go to Arby's. But I would say it's got like a 30% rate of success. If you go, hey, don't put any of the red sauce on there. The first bite's got like a big glob of it. You're like, okay.
0: There it is. Well, I still think the curly fries are phenomenal. That would be my second one. But it's your loved ones and your time. And it's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to com forward slash Haven Life now, and you will get a free quote. You also tell them that we sent you. That's why Haven Life stays with us is because you've been nice enough to use our link when you go there. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to Jason. Say hi, Jason.
1: Hey guys, wondering what your thoughts are on asset allocation that would give the highest risk-adjusted return. I know OG uh, professes 100% equities all the time, but a portfolio such as a risk parity portfolio historically has given the highest risk-adjusted return, a mix of equities, long-term treasuries, maybe a slice of commodities. Do you think this is valid going forward as something that would give the highest risk-adjusted return, or do you think that uh, 100% equities will uh, give the highest risk-adjusted return going forward? All right. Thanks a lot,
0: We're going to have an interesting discussion about this. I'm so tired right now. Like
1: literally I have so little energy and, and yet somehow I can feel the fire burning.
0: It's coming back. <laughs> it's the, the cauldron is starting to boil.
1: Sort of.
0: <sighs> Why don't you start? So if we're going to nerd out on this stuff, and by the way, congratulations, Jason. I like looking at the efficient frontier. If we're looking at highest risk-adjusted return, I can't think of any better way using modern portfolio theory to do that. And what that is, for people that don't know, historically, there is a mix of asset classes that have given you the highest rate of return with the least amount of risk. This guy, Harry Markowitz, won the Nobel Prize for that. He also, by the way, has been on the board of recently of ACORNs. Among others, so Dr. Markowitz has done some fantastic work, but he showed that if you are looking for a risk adjusted return, use an asset allocation based on science, not uh, based on you know what what uh, somebody said over the last ten years, fifteen years, whatever it would be i mean risk adjusted means adjusted for what level of risk. I would propose it would be you're looking for X rate of return. Uh, So we begin with the end in mind. We look toward today, if we're looking for eight and a half percent, let's say, before taxes and inflation, we then look at the portfolio that historically has gotten us there with the least amount of risk over whatever the time frame is toward your goal. And we continue to adjust based on the efficient frontier. That's my answer.
1: Well, there's a big difference between what's the best risk adjuster return, and a risk parity fund. A risk parity fund is a gimmick by hedge funds and robo-advisors who figure out quickly that they don't make enough money and have to figure out a way to add $50 million of revenue to their bottom line. So what they purport to do is take a whole bunch of risk here and a whole little a bit of risk there and voila it's parody it's like the phrase you know you got one foot in a you know you get your or you get your head <laughs> you in the don't oven need to t- <laughs> right oh yeah. in yeah. your hand in a yeah and your hand in a bucket of ice and on average you're fine yeah what's funny is is that when you try to tamp down risk which let's just call, what we actually mean to say here volatility risk is the opportunity of losing your money, the chances of losing your money. Volatility is the ups and downs of your money. So I don't think that we would say that risk is a thing in the publicly traded stock markets, especially in aggregate, right? When you buy the S and P 500, you're not risking the chance of your money going away to zero. If you invest in an apartment building, there's risk. If you invest in an individual stock, there's a risk. If you are buying the freaking total stock market index fund, there's no risk. You have volatility. Those are two different things. We use those words interchangeably, but they mean different things. And so when you try to take away volatility, which by the way, is the thing that you want, Because if you didn't get any volatility, if there was no volatility, then there would be no returns. It's that simple. If the markets did not go up and down randomly and quite violently at some times, you would have no premiums. You would have no difference versus the money is invested in stock and the money that's sitting in your mattress or the money that's sitting in your savings account. You have zero volatility in your savings account. What kind of return do you get? And you go, well, now I get a little bit more volatility and I'm gonna buy a treasury. And I get a little bit more volatility and then I'm gonna buy a corporate bond. And I want extreme volatility and I'm gonna buy small companies that are undervalued, right? And you get plus fifteen and minus forty five and plus sixty two and you get all these weird numbers. But that's the trade-off. The trade-off is you get higher average returns. And and you have to think about this kind of I think logically. You have to have higher expected returns in order to deal with the volatility also. You know what I mean? It kind of goes hand in hand. So if there's no volatility, there's no excess returns, which, like we've said before, if you don't get equity-like returns, you have to save all of your money for retirement. Every dollar that you could possibly need from age you know, 60 through age 100, you have to have accumulated at age 60, which is pretty difficult. So we use compounding. How do you get compounding? You are okay with volatility. So if you try to tamp down volatility, all you're doing is getting rid of return. That's, that's the 42nd step in the calculation. So when I see these products specifically that are designed for volatility reduction, it's like you look at them and you go, to what end? <laughs> because when do you get ticked off about them? You get ticked off at them. Like, hey, you know what, Joe? Let me sell you a, a volatility reduced investment. Here's the great news. Market goes going to go down 20%, Joe. This investment, only going to go down five. That's the most it'll go down. I mean, maybe six, but you know, how great is that? And you go, well, geez, if I have a big market correction, I'm able to get rid of all that downside exposure. How awesome is it? Well, guess what also happens? The other 70% of the time, when the market goes up 10%, you go up two and a half. That's all there is to it. And then you go... I don't understand why my investment sucks. Well, because you traded away, you know, 75% of the downside volatility, you only get 25% of the upside. So anyways, that's my two cents on the matter. I'm 100% in agreement as it relates to efficient frontier. But the but the reality is, is that everybody's need for growth is different. And then you have to decide if you only need to get 6% to reach your goals. Do you want to take that extra volatility to get 10 and more specifically if you get 10 and you have the extra volatility what the hell are you going to do with all the extra money because if you don't have a purpose for it then you're not going to be excited to take the extra volatility yeah you know so anyway. yeah i could go on and on and on well and that's why see you, you
0: it's why you start with the purpose i mean i think if you begin with where you're trying to go instead of begin with the hot new strategy you don't even get embroiled in this stuff yeah I think sometimes people overcomplicate it.
1: Sometimes, yeah. all the time, every yeah. time, nearly every time.
0: Thanks for the question, Jason. You got a question for us? Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and uh, you too can hear OG rant about uh, your thing. That really, that really wasn't a rant. It really wasn't. It was good. It was great. That's good. It was sound <laughs> dialogue. That's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. It's so interesting to see what people uh, write when they're talking about the greatest money show on earth, the circus that is Stacky Benjamin's. Uh, so thanks to everybody who's done that. Mom is so proud. Also, thank you to you for listening today. We really appreciate the time that you take to hang out with us. Thanks a ton. Last thing OG's firm is. uh, has the doors open for new clients. And I know we're getting to that time of year when uh, you start looking at the summer and go, how did I spend all that money? What happened? Head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG to get on OG's team's calendar and they'll take it from there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, speaking of take it from here, you take it from here, big guy. What should we have learned today?
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Joe, first thing is they should take some advice from Rob Berger and forget about the lies around personal finance. When you begin with an attitude of I'm in control versus they're in control, you immediately open up possibilities. Second, take some advice from our headlines. Is your advisor only showing you a statement from her firm? Yeah, maybe that's not a real financial statement time to ask for online access to numbers and names of financial items that are real before you're the next victim. But the big lesson, if you include up your nose, you can get up to 18 fries at once. Ears, now we're at 22. That what? No, I'm not putting them there. <laughs> Okay, all right, time for a shower and some mouthwash, unless there's another fry down here somewhere at the bottom of the bag. You gotta love bonus fries, right? Special thanks to Rob Berger. You can find pre-orders for Rob's book if you're listening the day this episode is released at Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. This show was created by Joe Saul produced by Richie Rutter Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at, at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on happy days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor.
0: You had a story for later.
1: Oh, yeah. So.
0: No, you're looking at your note and you don't know what it means.
1: No, I know what it means. I'm trying to decide if I want to say it. Have you ever woke up, uh,
0: though? Have you ever ever done that thing where they tell you to write down your dreams? Uh, For a while, I kept one of those books next to my bed. And I, for about three weeks, woke up and furiously wrote. And every time the next morning, I'm like, the tree really is a flower that grows in the Arctic. And you're like, oh, I have no idea. No idea.
1: <laughs> nice. So I was thinking about the uh, Scott trade thing. We were talking about that, right? Like how they're out of business. I mean, they were, they're not out of business. They were, they were purchased. Were, they were purchased by TD. I think TD, TD, yeah. Anyways, so I knew somebody that worked there and we were talking about it and he was, his job was getting eliminated. <laughs> he says one day, he goes, So uh, the branch here has about 600 million in assets. And I'm like, That's pretty awesome, dude. He's like, Yeah, except, you know, I'm getting canned because I'm thinking about opening because uh, they're going to close the branch. I go, Yeah. He goes, Do you know about parody laws? I said, No, what do you mean parody laws? He's like, You know, as long as you put the word not in front of it, then you can like do anything you want, like not Apple and like have like the Apple thing. It's not Apple. It's not Windows. He's like, so I'm thinking I'm going to tell these guys to keep the Scott trade sign out front. And I'm just going to write not in front of it. And then for <laughs> like the next couple of weeks, people are going to still come in and write checks and then I can retire. <laughs> Cause it's not Scott trade. And so obviously Obviously, he was kidding. was kidding. was kidding, but was, so we started to play with it. It's like just tell people, be like, "Oh no, I'm sorry. This it, it, oh you spelled it wrong. It's Scotts with an S. It's Scotts <laughs> Trades. Yes, is the it's two words. It's not one. And uh, meanwhile, I've changed my name to Scotts Trades. <laughs> <laughs> just like little like little things to like, you know. I play with that anyway. So
0: we used to the moral. Of the story is. Do not. We had one night like that, though, when we were, I don't know, end of my first year as a financial planner, started my second year. And, you know, you've had a long week. It's Friday. Everybody decides to go to happy hour together. And we're all sitting around. And there was was, somebody started this theme of things your clients would not want to hear you say. Like any, Ah, any story that begins with. So right after I'm bailed out. Right. Or, you know, a client says, I don't know much about this. And you go, that's two of us. Me neither. That was another one. Boy, I wish there was somebody here that knew something about that. Pretty sure somebody can you can you can you hold on a second? I'm gonna see if uh somebody knows how to figure out this paperwork. Or you're my first client. <laughs> that's like the biggest, happiest time of any financial advisor's life that you can't tell your client, by the way. Yeah, you know you can't tell them you're like, you are my first client. Oh, wait, where are you going? Where are you going? You are
1: my first one.
0: But everybody has to have a first client. That's right. And, uh, and no, the, the, those, those days were so funny. I think I mentioned on that end too, there were times when clients took stuff out of context. There was an advisor at our firm who had a, uh, had had a great meeting where there was a lot, a lot of business done and it was going to be good for the client and good for the advisor. But, you know, you're in your first year and any time you ended up with a case that was exciting and with a situation where everybody was going to prosper, the client walks out the front door and Paul, the advisor, is standing there and he turns around, like facing back toward the hallway and on his way down the hallway, he's got his hands in the air. yes, yes. And all of a sudden he hears bing and the door opens up behind him and it's a the, the guy's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot my keys. Paul's like, oh yeah, that's okay. Walks back in. Sure enough. They're in the conference room where they're in and the client says, Hey, I wanted to ask you too. Cause I was watching you as I was, as I was uh, walking out the door. What does this? Yes. Mean. Um... <laughs> he said, it means I am so happy. That you and I are going to be working together. I thought it was a great meeting. And I just I think this is going to be fantastic. He goes, right answer, walks out the door. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month. And I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine,